friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In Season 2, Episode 17, Sasha interviews Dr. Stacia Dearman, founder of ThrivePhysician.com. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Hi, welcome to the Brave Enough Show. I'm really excited. We have an amazing guest online today. She is awesome, and she's going to be really bringing such a different look at a problem that is in medicine that we all face. No one is probably free from this problem. So I'm super excited to get into our show today. But before that, I really want to encourage you because it's a new year. We're just getting into the swing of things. And you're probably getting to that point where you've been at it for a couple weeks and maybe you're telling yourself you're going to set healthier boundaries this year. You're going to eat better. You're going to move more. You're going to enjoy your family more. You're just going to do your life a little different in 2020. I want to encourage you if all of those feelings are already starting to slip back into old routine and you're already starting to feel overwhelmed to join me in the masterclass. I take 20 women in the spring through the masterclass and it's amazing and it's doable in your current life model. I have created this course for busy working women. So if that's you, (laughs) but you really want to figure out why are you feeling constantly like you're behind or you're not enough, or you just can't set boundaries, or you have no time for yourself, you have no time for your health, or you're feeling pulled in all these directions and you need a curriculum to go into the why, there's a reason you're like that sister. There's a reason you're in this situation you're in in life, and I want to help you come out of it and really establish boundaries and learn what your goals and what your passion is and your priorities and how to live according to your own priorities that you write in your journal. So go to becomebraveenough.com, click on Get Connected, and read about the masterclass. I would love to have you join. If you're not sure, just reach out to me, and I will tell you all about it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Brave Enough Show. It is my esteemed honor to have... Dr. Stacia Dearman on the show today. She is the founder of thrivephysicians.com, which is a resource and support system for physicians facing adverse outcomes in malpractice litigation. And she and I have traded some blogs in the past. That's kind of how we got to know each other because we both are really passionate about supporting physicians in the wellness space and through difficult times and through failures. And so we connected based on this similar value that we share just to encourage physicians to keep them in medicine and to support physicians. And yet what she talks about and what she posts about in her support system is really applicable to all people in life and in every type of enterprise and company, because we all fail, whether we are a lawyer, whether we are a teacher, whether we are in business, we all disappoint people and we can all make mistakes. And so even if you're listening today and you're not in medicine, I really want to encourage you to stick with us because we're going to talk about how to over overcome some failures and adverse outcomes and certainly litigation um, and process all of those things. So I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to the show, Stacia. Oh, thank you so much. I am very happy to be here, Stacia. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where, did, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What do you do? Well, I grew up in the Sunshine State of Florida on the East Coast and the first 
12 years of my life in a little beach town uh, on a barrier island where uh, sea turtles nest. It's like one of the most important sea turtle nesting grounds in the world. And then we moved to England and lived across the road, a very newly paved road from a dairy farm. So I kind of grew up in a very sunshiny outdoor environment and uh, was first in my family to go to college found my way ultimately to Ohio, where I live today, and I practiced in the context of a children's hospital in the pediatric emergency department. I originally trained in general pediatrics, but I've been in the emergency environment now for, oh, I don't know, something like 17 years, I think, and uh, I really love it. It's a good fit for me. And so tell us about how did you find or found Thrive in 2017? And how did you get into this space of helping people who are facing adverse outcomes and litigation? <laughs> well, not because I had never encountered it myself. <laughs> uh, I, I found my way into this work really uh more of a calling than anything because of a deeply personal experience that I had myself. Um, and I laugh only because you can, I guess, laugh or cry, right? Yep. Uh, probably about almost eight years ago now, I had the experience of a really unexpected, painful patient loss in which I saw a young woman in the emergency department on a Friday afternoon and uh, took care of her for several hours, discharged her home. And when I returned to work on Saturday evening, I learned that she had arrested at home that day. Um, I was absolutely stunned. I was really devastated. And as you can probably guess, entered a phase of grieving her death and I engaged in a lot of self-questioning for a lot longer than anybody might have guessed I would around what role, if any, I had in her death and whether I held responsibility in any way for her death. So it was really um, one of the more stunning experiences I've had in my life in medicine. By this point, I was already uh, almost 15 years in practice, so it wasn't that I was a complete newbie, but this experience was was very new for me. Um, probably about a year after she passed, not surprisingly, a lawsuit was filed against me, not only against me, but I certainly was the lead defendant in this lawsuit, and that process uh, extended over the course of about two and a half years. So from the time of her death until the lawsuit reached its conclusion was a period of about three and a half years and really was the the most intense time in my life, I would say. It ended in a trial that went on for about three weeks and ultimately, and I think fairly, the verdict was in my favor, but having a verdict in my favor in no way, shape, or form um, healed me or brought the internal process for me to a close. It really uh, took a lot of ongoing work on my part to heal and to 
come to uh, a much deeper understanding of how it was that this happened to me, who I am in the midst of all of this, and uh, really what this sort of experience means about what it is to be a physician or any other kind of healer or person who, who takes on responsibility for decision-making in an arena where those decisions impact on, on the lives of others. So that's, that's how I got into this. Uh, when I was in the middle of my trial, I stumbled. I, you know, sometimes say by chance, but I think maybe it was by providence on a TED Talk on the subject of physician suicide. I, I kid you not, this was like week two of my trial, and I never would have watched this TED Talk had they known what it was about. <laughs> But the title was sort of humorous, and I saw the talk, and uh, the next day in the elevator going up to the courtroom, I said to my lawyers, I saw this TED Talk about the fact that my profession is the group, the profession most likely to commit suicide. And they were both just, like, stunned. And I said, I don't know what all the factors are that contribute to physician suicide, but I promise you that what I'm going through is one of them. Mm. and something had to be done. So pretty much as soon as my trial was behind me, I started to invest my energy in figuring out how we could better support one another, how I could begin to communicate with others about the experience. Um, Because it's just a taboo topic in medicine. I just think that any time there's a topic we can't talk about, it only, only exacerbates the shame and the fear that we experience. So I, I was committed right from that very moment before the verdict was even barred to beginning to do something about isolation, physician feel in the midst of malpractice litigation. And uh, so I've been invested in that process now for several years. My trial was four years ago and, and uh, really been a beautiful experience walking this path of beginning to open up the conversation around this subject. Well, I love that you... Um took something that was very painful and you have created something very beautiful out of it. Um, I was listening to you and I was shedding tears because I was instantly brought back to uh, my own experience, very similar to yours that you described. And it was Mm -hmm. like, as you were talking, I was walking through it again. And I remember the grieving process. um, And I remember the the horrible feeling that I missed something, that I made a mistake, that I that I could have done more, that I didn't do the right thing, and that it led to this um, outcome that was horrendous. And I felt such shame at that time. Now, obviously, I've worked through that, but um, I definitely it's still tender. And when I'm listening, I know that feeling that physicians or healthcare providers go through because. It's, it's not just when it happens, then when you do receive a letter of litigation, um, it's like experiencing it even more and experiencing, you know, you go into medicine to help people, you go into medicine to heal people. And, and we are so imperfect and we are humans. And yet in medicine, we are expected to be infallible and our standard of care has to be perfection, which is unobtainable. And so there's this conflict and there's 
this pressure constantly that not only are we going to make a mistake, but we're going to make a mistake. It's going to lead to something. And then not only that, the, the guilt that you feel and the, the extreme, like, Oh, this, this horrible feeling, but then you also are going to be having to, um, you know, face litigation and penalties and exposure, um, that is beyond possibly what happened. And that just, that's like a second insult. It's like a second grieving process. And so I, I part of, and you, you may or may not know this, but part of me building brave enough came from this place of burnout. And certainly my burnout came from my constant trying to overachieve to make up for this this adverse event that I had early in my career that I suffered from greatly and I never got help to work through it and instead of going the healthy route of getting help to really process this event I just started achieving achieving, achieving, achieving. And I thought if I really could be the best doctor I could be, if I could be the best cardiac anesthesiologist in the world, then I wouldn't, I would make up for this other event. And that led me to burn out <laughs> and want to quit medicine, which thankfully I didn't. Thankfully I stuck with it. And thankfully I did get help and I created brave enough. So I love that you're creating something out of a a personal tragedy and out of something professionally that you probably regret, you probably think about every day of your life. You probably wake up and think about this event all the time. I know I do. It never leaves you. The grief never leaves you. And so while some people would turn to, and many statistically will turn to quitting medicine or they'll go through a painful loss of a relationship due to this, or they'll develop um, a substance abuse problem, or they'll have mental health issues, or even possibly take their own life you created Thrive, which is amazing. I mean, it's amazing that you created something to help other people going through this. So what do you do in Thrive? Tell us about what you do and the work you do. Well, it's a whole mix. You know, I certainly, I began with public speaking and I still do public speaking today and I love doing it. I really love it. I Early on, the first talk I ever gave, as it came to its close, I found that one of the participants, a man, was weeping. And those on either side of him had their arms around him. And being that, I thought, oh my goodness, I knew this was needed. I didn't know how much, right? This is really, really needed. So I continue to seek opportunities to speak, and I still do today. If anybody would like for me to come talk to them with their group, I'm happy to do it. But I go to people and I speak and try to create the safe space where the feelings can come out. At first, it kind of intimidated me for people to get tearful at my talk, like I was making them cry. I felt bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. I now know that instead what's happening is a safe space is emerging for them to shed some tears that they needed to shed, and those tears are very cleansing. So that's one piece of it. But by the same token, fairly early in the process of doing the public speaking, I realized that there is no way I'm going to reach everybody I want to reach through public speaking, in part because if people have not been through this, they sometimes don't want to attend these talks. If they have been through it, they'll come and they'll bring their residents. Yeah. <laughs> but if they haven't been through it, they, they're afraid of it. And then those who are in the middle of it 
sometimes can't attend because they're afraid that they'll that they'll cry in front of their colleagues, and that's hard for them. So that led me to contemplate the idea of blogging. Now, I am not the techiest person by nature, but once I realized that posting uh, words on the Internet had the potential to reach additional people, I started to get techier real quick. (laughs) I started to embark on building a website and posting regularly my thoughts on these themes of unexpected outcomes and just things people might need or want to know about litigation. And then that further opened doors to, uh, I created an online course recently specifically for physicians who are anticipating their own deposition. So they're in the middle of malpractice litigation and deposition is coming. I focused on that theme partly because by people reaching out to me through the website, it became apparent that that is the tensest moment for them. When they're they're running up to deposition, that's when they're most afraid. And it's reasonable because it really is the what is the fulcrum on which many lawsuits pivot one direction or another. So it's important for people to have a healthy mindset going into deposition and to know some about what to expect. Uh, and then my newest venture is getting into the world of retreat, which really has been probably my dream all along, but I recognize that people needed to know who I was and know what kind of a safe space I was going to be able to create for them before they would, you know, sign up for a retreat and spend their money and some time to come and be part of that. That's so, awesome. So that's what I've been doing, and uh, it's fun to see the possibilities emerge and try to see where the energy leads and and follow that natural lead and and, uh, build what people really need, you know? Yeah. Um, I I think that it's really important because you talked about how people come to your... um, come to your talks and cry or they don't come because they're afraid they're going to cry. Um, I have a wellness talk about burnout and I describe failing in, in the con burnout in the context of failure in medicine. And my failure was this a very adverse event. And, um, that really stuck with me for years and I couldn't forgive myself for. And every time I give that talk, every single time, I have never given that talk in any institution, in any place where there wasn't at least five to 10 people lined up waiting to talk to me, men and women, all of which are tears streaming down their face. And it's because they've, most of them have never talked about it. They have never talked about it with their colleagues. Um, they've never talked about it with their their boss. They've never talked about it even with their friends in medicine. And they may have shared with a with a life partner or their husband or wife, but um, they've never shared with anyone in the workplace. And it always breaks my heart because it's wonderful to have that support system. I mean, my husband was definitely my, my support rock and he listened to me and he, but my husband is not a physician and he's not an anesthesiologist and he's never been in this operating environment. And so while, while he providing support to me felt good, I look back and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I wish I would have shared more with a colleague who would have affirmed me because my healing began when I started to do that. Yeah. 
when I started to share with colleagues who are in my environment and who understand the role that I played and who understand the stress of the situation and how horrible it was and how we tried all the face things and we did this and this and this, they actually like affirmed me and their comments to me healed me. And so when I, when I hear you talk about people being afraid to cry, I think, isn't it sad that in my opinion, the, the people that are key to our healing are our colleagues. And yet we don't have that safe space in our workspaces. Often we don't create that. We don't, we don't actually make it happen where people can, you know, what we do is we say, well, maybe you should go talk to somebody else, or maybe you should go to therapist, or maybe you should, and and all of that, I, I really encourage people to do that. But the healing, in my opinion, is really when we talk to our colleagues. How do you, what do you think about that? Absolutely true. No, I think that's absolutely true. I think there is the cultural belief in medicine, at least in American medicine, but I suspect this is true across many, many nations in medicine, that we have this belief that when these events occur, somehow we are supposed to respond as if this was normal, right? Yeah. Like at an intellectual level, if I think about, you know, the millions of people receiving and giving health care in the United States, I can see that, okay, some bad things are going to happen. So we somehow expect of ourselves that we would just stand up, dust off, and move on. And we expect ourselves to shake it off, and we think that others will think less of us if we don't shake it right off. So we don't disclose what we're going through. And we, we compartmentalize it when we're at work, and then when we're at home, we may not feel like we have the people around and you're describing the people who actually live in that world to speak with. So then it's all bottled up inside. And I think what's tough about it is that the more we love our people, the more committed we are to our patients, and many of us, as you referred to yourself earlier, are high achievers. The more we love our patients and the more we people who try to achieve, the harder we feel it. And then we can't shake that off. We're trying to shake it off. And we recognize that we are not succeeding at shaking it off. We become self-critical in that regard. In other words, we're ashamed of the fact that we feel ashamed. And it becomes a vicious cycle. Whereas what I would like for people to see what I learned about myself is that I felt this so hard precisely because I am a perfect person to be practicing medicine. Mm, I love that. I so hard at it and I yes, and I want I want you to repeat that. <laughs> yes, I want you to repeat that because it's so powerful. So the you said the more we love our patients, the harder it is for us to process adverse events, and the more that means yeah. that we're perfect to actually be in medicine. That's right. That's right. So feeling is so hard. It's not. Yes. A message. Yes. <laughs> you missed your calling. Right. It's a message that you have found your calling. Yes. Amen. I love person. it. Because do you know what I have, I actually have had people say to me, and some of these people are people that I respect in medicine deeply. They've said to me, like, I wish that you, I hope that you can get to the point where you can tell the story and you don't cry. Because me crying makes them uncomfortable. And 
I now, when I talk, I say, I'm going to cry. Likely when I tell the story, I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that. I'm very comfortable crying on a stage. Um, you may not be comfortable with that. That's on you, not on me. (laughs) And, but I always say like, (laughs) I always, it's okay. (laughs) Like you, you may not be comfortable. That's okay. But I always say like, um, I hope I never tell this story and I don't cry because that means that I will have lost my, my, my empathy and my edge and my, my, how powerful I feel about this. I hope I always cry in medicine, whether it's a new patient and and, uh, that I've never met before until like, I I hope every patient loss means something to me until I go to my grave. Because to me, when I, when I experience loss or when I experience grief, I cry. So my gosh, I hope I cry until I'm 80 years old about patients. You know, I really do. And I never want to lose that. To me, it's not a sign of weakness, but I've learned that I've had to say that because I feel like other people in the audience are like, oh gosh, oh, this is so bad. She's crying. And I'm like, actually, no, I feel strong about the ability to cry on stage. I'm okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, and your reference to burnout is very pertinent here because there is a very fine line, in my opinion, between a healthy boundary between us and our patients, right? I mean, obviously, I can't be crying on a regular basis when I'm in the middle right. of for my patient. Right. I need that healthy boundary. I need to be able to maintain a certain degree of attachment that allows me to an emergency that's unfolded from a certain mood so that my intellect continues to function, right? Right. But there's a fine line between that healthy attachment and what we call personal relationship. And what we call what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that last. In personal safety. And personal safety, yes. A, com- a complete attachment and one of the cardinal features of burnout. Yes, yes. So when you say your experience led to burnout, I would say that I for me for a time that I also felt like whipped by my experience. And that was in a way that that Right. So I just want to um, thank you for coming on the show and just talking about these issues. And I want to make sure that I let all of the listeners know how to find out about your course for people that are going through facing depositions and also how they can find about about you as a resource. So um, I'm having a little difficulty hearing you right now, but if you can, so just, I just want to make sure everybody can hear because the last sentence I was, it was hard to hear you. Can you may tell us um, and speak up really loudly? Um, let us know where we can find you. Where can someone listening that's like, oh my goodness, I'm facing this. I'm facing deposition. I'm facing litigation. Or I'm not facing either one of those things, but I had this adverse outcome that I can't seem to forgive myself or I just continue to grieve. How can they find you? So well, the first place to start is with my website, which is Thrive. P-H-R-I-V-E, physician.com. Thrive Physician, all one word, no hyphen or anything. ThrivePhysician.com. Um, you'll find my blog there, but you can see my physician. I'll physician magic beyond the course and link to the perfect path. Um, and additionally, you'll find information about 
down the Colorado River in Canyon National Park and healing the heart of the healer retreat. That's awesome. So healing the heart of the healer retreat um, is your yeah, retreat that you're doing yeah. the whitewater rafting. And then the thrivephysician.com is a, is the support system and that has all of your resources. So people can find you yeah. there. Um, and, and, and then, yeah. And then on Facebook and Twitter, uh, they search for uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. They can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. And we will put those links um, in the show notes so people can actually access them on um, the website as well so they know how to find you. Thank you so very much for coming on. This has been such a, a really good uh, just deep dive into medicine, talking about things we don't talk about in medicine, but we need to. And I just want to reiterate what uh, Stacia said, as she said that, you know, the more we love our patients, the harder it is for us to process adverse events and the more we feel. And that doesn't mean that you're not in the right field, that you don't belong in medicine. It actually means quite the opposite, that that's exactly where you belong. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for the work you do. And as always, live brave. Now, this is the portion of the podcast where I would usually say this is an HSG production. But starting today in this podcast, we are adding a bonus section at the end of each podcast where Sasha talks about her favorite things. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Okay. I get asked all the time about products. What do you use for skincare? What do you use for your hair? What do you wear with this? What do you, what kind of handbag do you like for everyday work? What's, what's the best, uh, mom leggings? <laughs> These are literally the questions I get nonstop. And you know me, I love fashion. I love products. I don't know why they just they are like soothing to me and kind of my therapy is to try new products. So what I thought I would do is answer these questions by just telling you my favorite product of the week at the end of every show. Um, I recognize that not everybody that listens is a woman and I love that I have some male listeners. So I'm going to try to work in some male products too, because I want to be an equal product explorer. <laughs> So I'm going to find some products that my husband uses or that I buy for my husband. I'm going to tell you about those things, but these are going to be things that it may be an exercise product. It may be a beauty product. It may be something I like in my office. I'm going to just give you a link and tell you about the product of the week. So my pick of the week is, I love this. I just found it recently and I'm telling you it's the best $20 I spent. You can get it at any Sephora, Ulta, online, anywhere. It is by Benefit Cosmetics, and it is called the Boying, B-O-I-I-N-G, Hydrating Concealer. Let me tell you what this looks like. If you click on the link in the notes, you can see that it has like a... It looks like a lipstick, okay? So it has a little, um, it, it's a stick and it's just, it can fit anywhere with you. And the perp the purpose of this is, and why I love it, is the outside of the stick, it's like waxy, 
hydrating like a little stick. So if your face is dry or under your eyes are dry or you're going from work to an event or you're going from work to something or you're just at work and your face is dry, you can have this in your pocket or your purse and then in the middle of it is the actual concealer. But the outside is just this white, soft kind of oil. And so it's like a stick, like a almost like a balm. And you can put it on your face if you just want the outside part or if you need a little concealer, you can put it on the top and get both the concealer and the balm. But it is amazing. It's hydrating. I don't really use a lot of concealer on my face. And the reason I don't is because it's so cakey and I have really dry skin. So I am in love with this, especially in the winter. It's 20 bucks. You got to find it. Again, it's the Benefit Boying Hydrating Concealer. It looks like a tube of lipstick, but it's not. And you are going to thank me. And there's five different shades for every skin tone or six different shades, excuse me, for different skin tones. So find it. You're going to love it. I promise you're going to use it all the time. I've even put it on my legs for my varicose veins. <laughs> like if I'm in a dress, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have some varicose veins on my legs. I'm just going to use this hydrating concealer because it's like lotion and it's awesome. And it's just a little stick. So that is my product of the week, people. Um, and I just wanted to give you a little, you know, snippet of this. And I'm going to be doing this every week. So if you liked this, give me a shout out on social media and tell me that you like the product of the week and I'll keep doing it. Have a great and lovely day. This has been an HSG production.